It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good day, my brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the globe. It is 0600 hours Eastern, or Romeo, for you nautical types, 1000 hours Greenwich, or Sulu time. This is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy. I'm William Eastman, Managing Partner for Applied Applied Knowledge Labs North America, Um, a business research company with offices in Calgary, Alberta. Las Vegas, Nevada, Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, recently opened Atlantic office in Richmond, Virginia, where the show is coming from today. And we are a company that is actively engaged in changing the formula of success for companies from zero to 50 million in revenue. I'm your host for the next 30 minutes, and today's show is going to be on the second category or for the second bundle of best practices of fast growth companies, and that is brand and strategy. But before we go there, we have some administrivia to take care of. So first of all, if you want to join us live in the chat room for a conversation, and um, I will attempt to multitask to the best of my abilities. Um, you can do that by going to our show page at blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder. And that is T-H-E hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R. Or you can join us at the switchboard, which is at 347-215-7471. Dial in and get on live. And again, that number is 347-215-7471. You can always tweet me, not tweet. I am not a bird. So you can get on Twitter and hit me up at W Eastman, W-E-A-S-T-M-A-N. And um, I will attempt to multitask the nine things we're doing currently. Or finally, there is the ubiquitous blog, which the link is on the show page. Uh, and that will take you to our show notes, which we have posted sometime in the afternoon and from every show. Or you can Google it at the radio, uh, the, at the Rudder blog, R-U-T-T-E-R, and it should come up above the fold. Okay. So with that, uh, where are we? Well, what we've been doing in kind of the format of our radio shows for my new listeners or for people who are in a new download uh, is this. What, what we currently do is we're taking all of our intellectual property and we're offering that as free information. So we've put together a, a series of shows around topics. Our first series was on the six stages of growth, and we covered those. Uh, then there was the, uh, the elements 
of strategic dominance. In other words, when you looked at these companies that we're going to talk about and we have been talking about, how did they become market dominators? How did they go from zero to billion faster than anybody else? How did they, how did they successfully IPO their companies? And we looked at the six elements of their strategies, and we did a show on that one. And all you got to do is go to our show page at blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder and um, go through the archives, and it's all there for you. This is the third series, and what we're doing now is we're actually doing a drill down on our research. Uh, what are the four categories uh, that make up uh, the best practices of fast-growth companies? And each one of those categories has a series of best practices. There are 34 in total, and we're about to start on the next 10. So this is show 7 of 43 around the best practices of fast-growth companies, and the focus today is brand and strategy. Now, a couple comments on this before we get into it that are critical, to, um, and that is one of the things that we learned very quickly from doing the research and when we started in 2002, it became apparent. In fact, it was one of those things that was so uh, obvious. I think Tom Peters coined the frame, uh, phrase, the blinding flash of the obvious, was that we sh as soon as we did it, we, we saw it, we did kind of a Homer Simpson duh, because every one of these companies understood that brand drives strategy, not the, other way that, not the other way around. And a lot of companies, especially if you buy business planning software, is that the conversation around brand takes, uh, takes place uh, someplace, sometime around when you're working on the marketing plan, which really means it's downstream to the whole process. Uh, that's craziness. That is not true. Because when we did our research and we took a look at industries, uh, or when we took a look at companies, and we looked at companies like Broadcom, and Cisco, and Google, and eBay, and Starbucks, and Microsoft, just as a few. Those companies are well known, and when you hear the name of Starbucks, that creates an image in your mind. And so what was really clear is that two parts to this. Number one, this is always first, brand to create a compelling long-term identity for the firm. In other words, you've made a decision that when people hear your name, they have kind of a total experience. They have a visual and they have an emotion. They have a picture in their head and some emotion around that. And what you say at the very beginning, if you're a startup company, is what is it that we want people to think of when they hear us? And if you've been in business for a while, is how are we constantly refining and enhancing that? Then the second part of that is then what is your strategy, whether that strategy is a yearly piece or in our case, the quarterly, that what are you doing in the company to make the brand true, to refine the brand, to enhance the brand? And what we're going to talk about are the practical applications. What are the 10 best practices that go on inside of a company that makes that happen? So let me um, get into the best practices uh, and give you some sense of what they are. Now, our show format, for our, again, for my new listeners, is that starting tomorrow, we're going to take each one of these and we're going to talk about the specific behaviors that make up the brand. What are the attributes, we call them? And so you can really get a drill down over the next uh, 10 shows. So the first one on the list is stakeholder contribution. Now, I kind of wrestle with some of the terminology here because I've got to tell you is that 
in the research literature that we looked at and in the practical application of the last four and a half years is that a lot of these terms are artificial. We try to find a way of defining it. Um, stakeholder contribution, what does that mean? All right. It says that as a company, you, cre you create a clear and compelling uh, picture of the future. And you say that in present tense. That enables everyone, employees, suppliers, and stakeholders. And stakeholders could be investors or the people in the community are somehow vested into what happens in the company. But basically, everybody who has something to contribute, whether it's labor, whether it's money, or that they're going to buy things, has a clear picture about who you are and feel somewhat part of it, almost like creating a sense of community. And yes, you can do it because look at Starbucks, for an example. Have they not created a sense of community? And so it's finding the sweet spot among all the competing, uh, competing demands. And you're doing this at an organizational level because a lot of times people think that what employees want, what your investors want, what the local community wants, um, uh, what, you, what the suppliers want. In other words, all the different players here are somewhat in conflict. And if you don't work hard to find that sweet spot, that is absolutely true. And so what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to build as a company, as an entrepreneur, is to say, how do I become the company of choice to, to, um, to my customers? How do I become the company of choice to my suppliers? How do I become the company of choice to my employees? And how do I become the investment of choice to my investors? Because at some point, even if you're small right now, and it's all your money, at some point you're going to have to raise bucks. I don't care how you do that, whether you go to banks, whether you go to secondary sources such as CIT. God forbid if they go bankrupt, who the hell knows what's going to happen there. Um, it's whether I look for angel investors or I look for venture capitalists or I've decided to go out of the market, is that what is that sweet spot that everybody that I want to participate in this says, yeah, I want to, I want to hook up with these characters somehow. And this is done at the organizational level. So that's number one. The second one is, alignment of, uh, is infrastructure alignment. And that is how do we align the company? And so given your company strategy and what processes you believe you're going to have to put into place, what is the most efficient method of organizing to ensure coordination without bureaucracy? See, if you really think about why a company puts structure into place, structure is nothing more than a coordination mechanism. And what you're looking for is the mechanism that is the most efficient and the most effective. Some companies resort to policies and procedures, and what you wind up having is a company that's exceedingly bureaucratic. Uh, most of you who are not in big companies uh, have started your own. You swore to yourselves that you'll never become a big firm. Well, what's the challenge of running a big company? The challenge of running a big company as it gets larger, it becomes more complex, is how do you coordinate the whole thing? So when we talk about infrastructure alignment, it's a matter of how do I align all of the resources and all of the interest inside the firm in a way that makes coordination as simple as possible. And so that's number two. And by the way, we are not talking about these in any order. At the, at the close of the show, I'll talk about this in terms of patterns. Now, stakeholder contribution is tomorrow's show. 
Monday next week, infrastructure alignment. The third one, and we wrestled with what to call this, um, we, we wound up with cultural adaptability. It really has to do with the culture, but it has to do with how adaptable or flexible it is. And that's kind of an interesting challenge because we're talking about the, the company's history or traditions. Now, if you're brand new, you don't have any yet. But on the other hand is if you don't think that culture is something that's done on purpose, think again because what you get over time is every company has a culture, has a particular uh, personality to it, let's say, and that the only choice that you have in the process is whether you do it on purpose or it's done to you. Now, without getting into the details of Tuesday's show, what I'll say to you is that there are four basic archetypes to culture. There are four basic groupings. You find a culture that's achievement-oriented. In other words, what people get rewarded for with all the messages all around uh, performance, performance, performance. There's a second type of culture and uh, in a company, an archetype, which is called a relationship or support culture, which is more about the interactions between people. There is a third type of culture, which is a power culture, and that has to do with where do you stand in the hierarchy? Uh, he who makes the gold or she who makes the gold, uh, has, has the gold, makes the rules. And then the fourth one is what is called a rule or a norm type culture in that it's driven by policies and procedures. Now, before you hear those four, what I don't want you to do is think that one is better than the other. That is not true. That the culture of the firm is some mix of what as the owner you want but more importantly is what's the sweet spot for the company? If the company is going to be successful competing, given what you sell and who you sell to, which one of those work the best? So, for example, achievement cultures you find in companies that are driven by R&D or companies that are driven by sales. Support or relationship cultures you find in companies that are pretty much in the customer service business because if you're not providing that type of relationship inside, um, I I think you need to uh, take a look in the mirror if you expect uh, the outside to deal with it because how you treat people inside is how they treat people outside. Um, a power culture is what you find traditionally in the military um, where you need tight command and control. In a, a rule or a norm culture, you find uh, in manufacturing, for example. There's a, there's a process for everything, and certainly in companies that are unionized, you find it. So those are four. And what you find is each company is kind of a pattern of those. But what's critical is that, on the one hand, those that provide clarity and some sort of permanence. But on the other hand, is it flexible enough to deal with what changes in the market? Because unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon your own personal views, uh, the reality of life is that very few of us operate in a static environment. We operate in very dynamic environments. So even though this is what you're about, um, you need to have the ability to modify as you encounter different business issues. And this one directly relates to brand. In fact, when we talked about branding in one of the other series, is, uh, branding, is, is, uh, branding takes place on the outside, which is the impression you're giving customers. Branding also, takes, uh, also occurs inside the firm in terms of what it says to employees. The fourth one on our list is what's called goal integration. And what this is about is pretty simple. It's the blending of diverse goals. Because typically in a, in a company, you'll find three sets. 
One is you have a set of business objectives that you put in your strategy to say, here's the things we've got to push this year if we're going to stay in business. At the same time, everybody's job has its own set of unique demands. And then the third part of this is that if I'm going to really build a group of people that I'm going to keep, um, I also have to be concerned around professional development and where are they going. And so many times what happens is these three appear to be conflicting when the reality is that isn't true, is that you can, you can blend those together. And what you're trying to do here is real simple, is you want to reduce the competing demands at the work level. So in a way, it's another way of looking at the stakeholder piece, only instead of talking about it at an organizational level, you're talking about at a, at a local level. The fifth one on our list is resource deployment. Okay, resource deployment. What do we mean here? Given the restrictions that you have on your available resources, all of us have just a finite uh, list of money, time, people, and focus. Um, how do you maximize those results given that what you have is what you have? All right? And so I think the, 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 thought, the thought that we'll have on this one here as we get into this, and by the way, this is the show for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday show up next week, is two things to consider. One is put together your budget, and because budget drives resources. Where you put your money uh, basically is where you put your resources. View putting budget together as being a venture capitalist inside the firm. In other words, have each one of these functions or departments or people compete for dollars. You only have X number of dollars going around. Where is the best investment for the firm? And then what we're going to do is we're going to apply the 100% funding rule to that in that what a lot of mistakes a lot of companies make is that they come up with seven things they want to do over the year, but they only have money to do four. So they spread their money across the seven. They do all seven marginally. And what happens? You wasted your money. It's a far smarter rule that if you can fund three at 100%, do three rather than seven because those three will get done. And so that's the area of resource, resource deployment. Now, before we move on, what I'd like to do is just do a quick stop here uh, to the process and talk a little bit about us. You know, I said we're a business research company at Applied Knowledge Labs, or more affectionately known among us as the labs. Well, really what that means is that view us as an information refinery. In other words, when you buy gas, uh, gasoline had to go through a couple processes. One, there's typically a company that does the exploration. It's got to dig it out of the ground. Then there's a company who has to refine it into fuels, and whether it's diesel, gas, kerosene, depending upon what your motive power is, somebody needs to take that crude because there's no way that you could ever take um, crude oil out of the ground and put it into your car. That's what we are. We are a refinery. We look at what is going on out there in the marketplace. And we do the research and we say, what are the best of the best doing and what are the lessons learned? Then take that information and turn it around and give it to you, the small business, uh, the entrepreneur, the company under 50 million who is saying to themselves, we really want to become a, a dominant player. We want to be the dog in a junkyard. We want to take this company public. We want to take it to a billion dollars. Um, what do we do to do that? Our job is to refine that in a way that makes it usable to you. So I'll tell you what, if you have any interest in growing your company, um, you can't miss any of our shows, and you certainly need to be talking to us. So that you can contact us in a couple of ways. One, you can write me directly. Uh, my email account is eastman, E-A-S-T-M-A-N, at 
aklabs.org. That's A-K-L-A-B-S dot org. Or we set up a Skype hotline, which is monitored to not 24 hours, but damn close, at 804-471-1660. That's 804-471-1660. Okay, let's take a look at the sixth uh, of the ten uh, best practices. The next one is intellectual leadership. Now, what is intellectual leadership? This is about your company's ability to establish itself as the thought leader of its industry. And when I say your company, typically it's the executive or the owner, you, becoming recognized in your, either in your local community or in your niche or in your industry as somebody who represents forward thinking. And that what happens there is that people begin to pay attention to you. Now, obviously, you can see the impact on brand. But really, the, the goal here is for the executives and owners of the firm to become recognized as thought leaders in the industry. This directly relates to branding, and it directly relates to pulling business in. Uh, and we're going to do that one on Friday. Then we're going to take a week down. We, uh, we are on the road all week, and I'm not going to be in a place that we can broadcast from. So we're going to start back on the 17th of August on a Monday. And that show is going to be on migration management. Now, what is migration management? And it's based upon uh, trends that you've identified in the industries that you've targeted. And all this goes back to uh, previous shows that we did on Market Intel. And I'll come back to that in a second. And that is the ability to move into new markets while the opportunity exists. Because since we all operate in dynamic markets, is competitive advantage or value provided to customers is a thing that's constantly changing. Are we a company that easily slides from customer to customer, market to market, offer to offer? Obviously, within the boundaries of our offer, but can we have the ability to do that, or are we always a laggard? Because as most of you know as business people, that typically the first into a new market or the first into a new opportunity has the greatest chance of growth. And the rule of thumb is if you can get in uh, first and get in fairly big, you can typically own 50% of that particular thing, and all your competitors will split up the rest. So we talked about a lot about competing in advance. This is competing in advance, going to where the puck will be, not necessarily where the puck is. The next one is change readiness, and that is your ability of your organization, whether it's strategy or processes or resources or people, to tackle change is part of how business is done. Um, you got an organization that is not change ready. Uh, you got an organization that's going to die because of what that means basically is that if you're in a sweet spot right now, you're only going to do well as long as you're in the sweet spot. The second the sweet spot migrates, you're in serious trouble. And so to me, this is one of the core competences of any firm. Uh, the rule of thumb that we use around change is this. You've got to be able to change at least as quickly as the market changes because if there's any lag, if the market changes every six months but it takes you nine months to change in terms of what you do with your offer or how you build it or how you service customers, you're always going to be behind the curve. You're always going to be reactive, and then you're going to be competing for the remaining 50% of the market. Having an organization that is able to change on a dime is incredibly important. And don't think because you're small, um, that means you can change fast. Yes, 
you should be able to change faster in big companies, but I know a lot of small companies, and this comes down to the business owner many times, who are just as stubborn and just as difficult to change as any large corporation for different reasons. Uh, number nine, again, not in any order, is strategic response. And this is basically about creating strategy that matters and that um, it's the creation and execution of business strategy um, that creates a competitive advantage by making your brand superior in its niche is really the, the formal definition. But to me, that it's around creating strategy that matters. And this is this is typically a business plan sometimes. It's, uh, it's sometimes people get uh, business plans and uh, uh, strategic plans mixed up. But this basically says you need to produce a script for which the business is going to run that you share with other people. Otherwise, they get confused about what they really should be doing. And trust me, they do, no matter how well you may be personally supervising them or whatever infrastructure put into place. There's a constant reminder. How often you put together a strategic plan is totally based on your market. Uh, we do a quarterly plan. We don't have a yearly strategic plan. We just we are uh, we are one month into our third quarter plan, and the reason for that is we're constantly growing and constantly learning. And if I was to spend the time to say, well, this is what we're going to do next year, I'd be wasting my time. Um, it's it, right now our focus is what are we going to get done by the end of September, and that's our strategic plan. Now, do we have something longer term? Yeah, we do. But do I put a lot of energy on it? No. It's simply saying, okay, what is the end game? And then we keep working backwards. And so all these companies, the best practices they had is that they had they put together a strategy that implemented a brand that gave them some leadership or some dominance in their niche market. And then finally, the last one on the list, and again, not in any order, is targeted accounts. Now, with targeted accounts is, and this is part of the long dialogue we had over market intelligence, which was the first category, and that is you've identified what industries are the best match for your offer, the industries where you believe you can be very, very successful, industries that have unmatched or under unserved or underserved needs, I should say, with potential for high financial return. Okay, so within those industries, what are the premier accounts, the marquee customers, those companies that you really, really, really should have it's a good match. They'll put your name on the map. There's high revenue. You can scale on their infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is really honing it down to saying these are the companies that we want to target, and you really have to have that done because without it, you cannot put together a strategic plan or a marketing plan. And uh, we're going to do that on Thursday, the 20th. And then finally, the last show in this series is the show on the uh, Friday, the 21st, of August, which is going to be lessons learned, just like we did um, on Tuesday uh, on market intelligence. I'm going to go into the data and say, here's what the research is telling us uh, about this particular category. Now, let's let me do some summation here. This all assumes one thing, and what it assumes is this: is that you have been, that you have done reasonably good work around market intelligence because if you haven't then none of this is really possible and I, I yeah you can do it but then the decisions you made are, are based on assumptions and intuition and uh, you know unless, unless you're different than I am I have neither the time the money the resources the focus to work on things that are dead ends 
So when I have a clear picture of the market, uh, I, I lack the data to pull this off. So what has to happen in a sequence is that market intelligence has to occur before you get into brand and strategy. The other, the other way I want to say this is that if you look at this in phases, you know, I talked about the 10, there is some order. It's not linear. But if you look at it this way, after you've done your market intelligence, then you have your next phase. And the things that you look at is shareholder contribution, strategic response, cultural adaptability, and target accounts. Those are the things that you would do next in some sort of order, and it's usually iterative. As you're working on one, you, you get closure on another. Then the second phase is to take a look at change readiness, resource deployment, infrastructure alignment, and goal integration, which is now more of the tactical part of that to get it done. And then finally, the, the last set is migration management and intellectual uh, leadership. And those are kind of uh, things that are consequences of doing the others. And so that is one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that we don't have a best practice specifically around brand. So where does branding come from? Branding comes from looking at stakeholders, it looks at culture, it looks at international leadership, and it looks at strategic response. Those are all the areas that you begin to work on brand. Okay, so that has us up to our moment of truth here. So the summary is, once you have provable facts, which is, comes from the market intelligence, about issues that are affecting all the players in the market, your company, your competitors, your customers, and as we talked about the last couple of days, your comp customers' customers, looking at that entire value chain, you can move forward on designing the company for both today and in the future. So with that, I want to say I appreciate uh, you being with us today uh, or on the download, and uh, make sure you don't miss any of the next upcoming 10 shows uh, on the best practice for brand and strategy. So with that, you take care. Wealth and prosperity to all the listeners, and uh, if you need anything from us, feel free to contact Eastman at aklabs.org or our Skype hotline, uh, which is at 804-471-1660. Have a great business day. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.